<laughs> Good morning. It's 9.07. Glad to have you with us. In about a half an hour, uh, Jim Babka is going to come on. Uh, well, we just we just have to forgive and forget. Let's move along. Nothing to see here. Oh, wait till you hear this one. <laughs> Ron Calzone is going to be with us. MoFirst.org to tell us about a guy who sold a dead horse. But before we do any of that, you got to hear this. Thank you, Kareem. Following up on your comment that there's an alarming number of Republicans who are saying they're not going to accept election results. Does that mean President Biden thinks it is a threat to democracy if somebody votes Republican? No, that's a that's a ridiculous question. No. Why is that a ridiculous question? Because American people should have their right to vote for whomever they want. The voting is a sacred right. It is something that the president wants to protect at, at, at every turn. And he has done that. He's taken actions to protect the right to vote. And, uh, and you see uh, Democrats in Congress also doing the work to protect the right to vote. We are talking about mega MAGA uh, Republican officials who have been very clear about this. Who who say who say uh, you know they are uh, pro police, but then they are also pro insurrectionists. That is, you cannot be pro police and be pro pro insurrectionists. Who? Wow. Well, I think they I think they're talking about Kevin Jackson, the Kevin Jackson network. So we'll give him a chance to respond. Uh, you shouldn't vote, Kevin. Well, you ain't black. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. You know. Yeah. Yeah. These people are. It's fun to watch it in, in one respect because you see their desperation, uh, the the idea that they they know inflation is hot on the list of everybody, and that's the reason why they're polling so low. And and I don't believe the polls. I think they're actually lower than that. Certainly, without a complicit media, you'd see that. Um, so inflation's big. Crimes are obviously one of the top issues. Uh, in some of the major states, like uh, border states, Texas, Arizona, uh, New Mexico, and even California, people are concerned about immigration. Uh, it was made national by DeSantis and uh, Greg Abbott when they shipped those people up there. So that's even though it's not necessarily impacting people, uh, there's a there's a an ancillary impact or a tangential impact, I should say, on, on other states. So. The Democrats are grasping for straws. I, did you notice they shifted everything? If you look at their commercials, everything's about Social Security. They're finding any candidate uh, to say, oh, the Republicans want to take away your Social Security. So there's that fear factor. And the one that I think is most desperate is the election deniers. Uh, what's funny about that is the more Joe Biden talks about that, even his own people who know that the Democrats cheated, they say, come on, Joe. You know we cheated. How can we be talking about election deniers? So I find it, it, it you know, the, the strategy here is that of a demented man. But look at who we're talking about. I don't I think mean, it's his strategy at all. I, I don't think it's his strategy at all. Well, I don't I think, think he's, I think he just said they sent him out there with a teleprompter uh, and uh, and he screws the pooch every time. I, I don't think those are his words. Well, I, I I can't disagree with you there because, let's face it, everybody knows Biden's not running the country. But there is a he, – he says what they tell him, and it, you know, he could go off teleprompter and – like Trump. Trump got told a lot of what to say, and he went off teleprompter. He said, I don't care what you guys tell me. If anybody believes that Trump's strategist 
give, gave him the talking points, and Trump went out there and did it by the book. It didn't happen. So you can go off. You can go off the the the, the playbook, and he did it with with uh, Obama multiple times. With Obamacare, he did it. On gay marriage, he did it. So he's known for going off the script. Well, his Why problem. Is he going his problem, Kevin, is that when he's on script, he's wrong, and when he's off script, <laughs> he's, he's wrong. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is a guy that can't win for losing. Well, you know, look at look at this thing that he did where he says his son died in Iraq, and. I mean, he said it, and he means it. He he didn't even, it's not like he corrected. Oh, I didn't mean to imply that. You know, he, he, there's no correction. There was one other one he did just this week. Look, we keep talking about Joe Biden and the gaffes and, and what he's doing and what he's saying. And, and I, I, don't, I think that the public is fine. And this is kind of what gives me a little bit of heart. Outside of cheating, I can tell you, we would be so dominant in the midterms, the Democrats would get a serious wake-up call. But because they are going to cheat, and they will win some races because of it, they're never going to recognize that the public is absolutely against them. Joe Biden said the ultra-MAGA, the MAGA people, are the, the minority part of the Republican Party. Nothing could be further from the truth. I go to rallies. I go to events. The, the people who are most charged up are the MAGA America first people. And if the Democrats want to dismiss that, fine. You know, or try to play, play it off or dim diminish it or mitigate it. Do whatever you want. But these people exist, and they exist in very large numbers. And, and uh, the latest poll I saw was even suburban women and, and are, are starting to, to move over. That is the only demographic, and, and I don't want to, the, the technical demographic was college-educated women are the ones who had, had not moved for Biden. I believe college-educated women, who they're housing under the, the guise of conser, uh, suburban women, are moving over. And that's a death knell for him because he's already lost a lot of blacks. He's lost the Latinos. And the, the, on, the only one left was really the suburban, the, uh, these supposedly college-educated women who I think are abandoning him. And they're abandoning him because of crime, inflation, their kids being called racist and all this wokeism that is destroying the country. So you listen to Biden's speech, and it was a clinic in everything that the Democrats are doing. They're they're cheating in elections. They're destroying the constitutional republic that is often referred to as a democracy wrongly, and on and on. Everything Biden said was essentially a, a critique of the a criticism of the Democratic Party. I've got a question for you. Now you you and I both know, and we both believe that the Republicans have enough of a wave to take the Senate. And every time I, I look at uh, Real Clear Politics or uh, any of the, uh, I, I just constantly am seeing reinforcement of this. But they're all very close. There's no slam dunk in, in uh, Georgia or Pennsylvania or Arizona. Sure. Well, Arizona's <laughs> looking really good. But if it turns out that the Republicans win in all of those close races... And you believe the Democrats are cheating. What will be the reasoning behind their victory? The, the, there's a level of cheating that you try to achieve. Like, you know, what happened. Look at what happened with uh, Claire McCaskill. Uh, I think that when she ran against talent, right, they wait until the count ends. And they go, oh, miraculous, we found 4,000 votes, which is, you know, one vote more than they needed to beat talent or whatever. So that's typically how it works. There's a lot of mechanisms that go into the cheat, a lot of them. 
and this low there's low level operatives and then there are people who can orchestrate it at the level that it occurred with trump where you know you've got dominion machines at a certain you know time of the night when the account didn't go well the phone call gets made etc i i think that the low level cheating the you know stuffing the ballot boxes uh double voting you know things like that are going to happen there's there's hardly much you can do about that but that high-level cheating, if we prevent that, they can't win. How do you prevent that? How are you pre- If in those close races where even low-level cheating might make a big difference and the Republicans still prevail, how do you explain them winning? Well, that, that's every, every election cycle. How do we win at all? They, they're cheating. I don't think you would disagree with me that the Well, Democrats if they cheated in the, in the Trump-Biden uh, race uh, to the extent that, that they did... What's going to change that now? How the is it that now? It, it, so th- there's a bigger question because the Democrats cheat every election cycle. They cheated. They didn't have to cheat with Obama, but they did. I know black folks that voted multiple times, so it could, saying that they were going to do that. Now, how orchestrated was it? It is to be determined. With Hillary Clinton, they tried to orchestrate it. They did. They cheated the heck out of Trump. And but he still managed to win. I think he blew them away with the numbers he was able to create. In this next election, they said, we're going to put in a fail-safe, and they were able to do it. So I think there's the bigger philosophical Well, if they've got a fail-safe, and they used it before, why wouldn't they use it now? that's what I'm going to. The reason why they can't get away with the fail-safe this time is it wasn't a uniparty. It wasn't the Democrats that cheated with Trump. It was a uniparty. As I told you before, we have undercover video of Republican operatives that helped the Democrats to cheat against Trump. They were saying on camera, F Trump, et cetera. These were Republicans. So Kemp and Raffensperger in Georgia were part of that. Uh, There were many people involved here in Arizona, as an example, that were Republicans in Maricopa County who were involved in it because they didn't want Trump to win. That appetite doesn't exist I've got to boil this down because I'm up against the break. So the difference is this time if the Democrats try to cheat, they'll have to, they'll have to go it alone because the Republicans aren't playing. The Republicans aren't in it, and they don't have the right uh, impetus. They can't get rid of the orange guy anymore. Now they want to actually get rid of the demented guy. All right. Well, right now I want to get rid of the black guy because I have to play a commercial. <laughs> but I'm going to bring him back. The Kevin Jackson Network on the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. Forgiveness. That's what Jim Babka wants to talk about. Forgiveness. Well, forgiveness for what? We'll kick that around in the next segment. Uh, you can uh, find his uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, just look up his name, Jim Babka. In the meantime, the translator-in-chief is with us, Kevin Jackson, Kevin Jackson Network. He is also a nationally syndicated radio talk show host and a friend of mine. And we, we once again call on his translation skills to help us unfurl the meaning behind President Biden's wonderful speech. Well, if anybody think if we're doing it for the first time now in the 21st century, going into the 20th, from the 20th century going into the second quarter of the 21st century, that we'd say 12 years is enough? Think 12 years is enough in the, going into 20, 30, 40, 50? <laughs> that is hysterical. 
<laughs> I hadn't heard that. That is funny. Oh, so what he's saying is that you're wanting a translation. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, pal. You want a translation from libtur to English. Is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> I think Kevin is throwing in the towel. He's stumped? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I am stunned. It's <laughs> even got him. In, 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 in whatever course he's... The 21st, you know, on the 20th cent first quarter of the winter. What the hell is <laughs> right. he talking about? <laughs> That's hysterical. Brian, you got to send me that clip. I will. That is yep. hysterical. Let me tell you, that speech was, I mean, I only watched the, I didn't watch the speech, but I, I got the clips, and I didn't get that one, obviously. But um, the ones, you know, the ones that he talked about, I, I'm still reeling over it. Uh, he says that uh, the, 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 there are people that are telling lies for power and profit. No. Lies for conspiracy and malice. Lies told over and over. And, I, and as he was making that statement, when I was looking at the clip, I was thinking to myself, that's exactly what you do. This guy is the chief liar. Did you, did you see the other thing he just said the other day? He said, uh, insulin, he's talking about insulin. And he said, yeah, I actually yeah. talked to the guy who discovered it. You know, I had a conversation with the guy who discovered insulin. And, of course, Joe Biden was born 19 months after the dude died. Yeah, but it was a seance, Kevin. It was They were sitting around a table holding hands. Obviously, yeah. 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 He, he talked to him through, through some other form of media, a medium. But it, just think about this. The guy, he can't even tell us, say, you know what, insulin saving lives. We're trying to reduce the cost so that senior citizens and people on fixed incomes are not going to get you know, are protected from getting, you know, they can get this life-saving drug, but in, in, that's not enough to say, I'm working on legislation, which, by the way, Trump's already, Trump already did that, but that, let's not let, you know, let the facts get lost in the weeds here. But he want, if you want to take credit for re reducing it further or whatever, fine, but he can't do that without adding on how important he is to have had a conversation with this guy. See, it isn't enough that the guy discovered insulin and it saves lives. No, the topper, the icing on the cake is I talked to the guy. Now, the reason why I bring that up is that tells you what Joe Biden's personality is. It isn't enough that insulin has saved millions and millions, if not billions of lives. Joe talked to the man. That's the capper. Yeah, that's, well, you know, um, it's a seance. It's the only the only explanation well, I can it think of. Look, it's not about the seance. If Joe Biden is telling you a story, he will add his little piece to it, and that becomes a story. You know, he could talk about, yeah, I went to pin a medal on this guy, and you know, we we're getting shot at. You know, but I, there I was, you know, flying in, I get shot at to pin a medal on a guy who'd save 15 Marines, you know. But it, it isn't that. That's not the story. The story is look at everything I had to do to get there. It's about me. Oh, it's and always it's been about that him. way his entire life. Let's just listen to anything he says. You know, any piece of legislation. I, I, I sign it. I'm, I'm the reason that legislation exists. And and then what happens in, after we fact check him? You find out he had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Well, I don't know what to say. He's. It, it's not just a sign of old age because he's done it all his life. It's he's not cheated a sign of all his life. It's a pathology. Uh, yeah. And here's the deal, Gary. It's a pathology of the Democrats. And I was watching this story about a kid. He killed uh, He killed his best friend. And they interviewed him. And he, he, it's no, he, that cop asked him, was there a reason? Did, did he do something wrong? No. 
No, he goes, do you, are you upset about it? No, no, I'm not. And he, he, he doesn't have any emotion. And he says, my best friend asked me to stop, and I told him, okay, if you'll, if you'll you know, not resist, I'll, I'll leave you alone. He says, but I, I was lying. And the cop that made the comment, the psychologist said, the people like him, they lie with ease. They will tell you a lie knowing that, that, that they're not going to live up to it. And as I was watching that story, I was thinking, that's Democrats. They'll tell you, oh, Obamacare is going to save you from this. They know it's not. Gruber said they knew that they didn't. Oh, this Inflation Reduction Act, it's going to reduce inflation. They know it's not going to reduce inflation. You know, uh, none of the things that they say are going to happen. They tell you that lie because it'll placate you for the moment so they can continue killing you. And that's exactly how I view these people. And, I, and I'd say this because we come on and joke about it quite a bit on the show, but it's not a joke. These people, are they're going to lie to your face. To, you, oh, no, we're, we don't want your, all guns. We just want, you know, these assault rifles. No, they don't. They want all your guns, period. Don't believe them. Don't believe anything they tell you. Don't believe that they're going to get control of the fiscal, you know, the budget or anything. They're not going to do it. It's all about them, whatever they want, right or wrong. They still are going to do it, whether you like it or not. Well, that is the word of a mega mega trickle down <laughs> extremist, extremist Republican. Right? Yeah. Oh, uh, wait, wait, wait! Election denier. <laughs> oh, we forgot. And I've got ED. I've got ED. Election <laughs> denier. <laughs> <laughs> I'd heard that about you, but I've that was three years ago, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got electile dysfunction, my friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Jackson, the Kevin Jackson Network, uh, and uh, always, uh, always fun to have you on and uh, and to uh, kick things around, especially you. I just want you to know before you go, okay, that the uh, price of beef allegedly is going up. They're calling for a shortage of beef. No way. Which means yes, uh, apparently uh, because it's been a little too warm, a little drought-like in eat, Texas eat more and Missouri. Chicken. Well, this affects you directly because uh, by the time the uh, next election is oh, over... Oh, your steak. <laughs> you're going to owe me several steaks, and they're going to be pretty steep. I'm going to get you one of those almost steaks when, you know, made out of arugula and, and kale. <laughs> I hope I never, ever get that hungry. Kevin, thank you, buddy. All right, man. All right, talk to you later. Kevin Jackson, Kevin Jackson Network. All right, uh, let's see. What do we have coming up? We have uh, the Show Me Institute. They're going to be on board. Uh, the, this interest rate hike is going to have an effect on the economy here in Missouri. So uh, we've got uh, Dr. Hedlund coming on the program, Aaron Hedlund, the chief economist at Show Me, to talk about the Fed's uh, decision and how it affects us. Uh, we've also got Jim Babka. He's coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, if you go to YouTube, Grace Arkey or Jim Babka, look those up. You'll you'll get to see his uh, his weblog. But he wants to talk about forgiveness and amnesty. And I I don't know what to forgive anybody for. I have no idea what it is, but we're going to find out in a few minutes. <laughs> and if that's not enough, if that's not enough. Uh, Ron Calzone is going to be on, and he's going to talk about, among other things, selling a dead horse. I'm curious. That's an hour from now. 10.30 on the Gary Nolan Show. Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.
935. Glad to have you with us. Show Me Institute coming on board. Dr. Aaron Hedlund, he'll be with us about 10.05, about a half an hour from now. The Fed is raising, uh, has just raised uh, the, in, uh, the uh, interest rate uh, three-quarters of a percent. And uh, what, what effect will that have on us in Missouri? We'll find out. In the meantime, Jim Babka is on. I'm not sure if he's begging for forgiveness. He's looking for amnesty. But we're going to find out. Jim, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. So what is this amnesty deal? Well, there's an article in The Atlantic that's making the rounds. came out Monday. And it's been it's becoming a wide uh, topic discussion on social media. And you may have even seen this discussion, not been aware of what its source was. The article is written by an economist at Brown University, and it suggests that we uh, have an ollie-ollie income-free moment on COVID. We behaved badly. All of us behaved so badly during this pandemic. At moments, we were nasty and mean to each other, and we were doing it because we were in a, caught in a state of ignorance and fear, and who could have known any better? And so everyone should uh, be allowed to come in, and we should put an end to all discussion, further discussion. Uh, in fact, there's not really much to be learned here except that we were all scared. And uh, we should just move on with life. We should uh, love one another again and just forget it all happened. Forgive and forget. It's, it's all over. There's, there's nothing to see here, nothing to learn. Well, And there's been some response to this. You have probably seen some posts on social media where people have said, you know, sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to let go. Well, what do you think? Should they? Well, I have on this show repeatedly, and I'm really glad you asked that question, uh, I have repeatedly said that we should have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I have suggested even further that the Republicans, and I'm glad that we are having this discussion literally on the last time you and I are going to talk before the uh, election next Tuesday, I have repeatedly suggested that the Republicans are as useless as you-know-what on bulls, as my father used to say, and they have to investigate what happened here. They have to get to the bottom and put the truth out to the public. And I am even in favor of some prosecutions. I think that there was severe duplicity in what did or did not happen in a certain lab in Wuhan and who was involved and how they were funded and how that was all covered up. Uh, I suspect that there was fraud in how the vaccines were sold to the American people. And there are clearly some policies that were pursued uh, that had deleterious effects on our economy and on our children. And I think, and, and many of these codes and rules that they're asking us to forgive are still in place. So no, I think they, there should be a thoroughgoing review of this. And I have called repeatedly for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The way this works is you start, you suggest we're going to do some prosecutions, but everybody that comes in out of the cold and confesses their sins will be pardoned and forgiven. And I would make very few exceptions to that. Now, I will tell you, I do think there are some people that can't, we cannot accept in this particular case. The most notable name is Anthony Fauci. Uh, he, is at the, he is at the center of both the Wuhan lab leak and the, the, the fraudulent sale of the vaccines uh, to the country. And, and uh, you know, the, there are many Republicans suggesting that Randy Weingarten cannot be pardoned. Uh, she is the head of the uh, American Teachers Union. And uh, the, the schools, the education system, was a major propagation of the fear climate that we were experiencing. And, and the fear climate being so bad that the, the people were posting openly their, their loathing and hatred of Americans who were refusing last year to get their vaccinations. 
so, I, I, you know, maybe we, at the very top levels, we have to have some accountability. So this testimony that would be gathered during the Truth and Reconciliation, where nearly everyone would be forgiven, would allow us a couple of people to hold up to justice and to say, hey, look, we want to make sure that nobody misses this lesson. It's there for the rest of time. Uh, we create a taboo against using fear to manipulate and lie to the American people uh, in the midst of a pandemic. Jim, they just made a mistake. To err is human. Forgive divine. Well, I actually agree uh, with every, everything you just said, uh, 101%. But this, if, if there, there was, it was possible to know better in this situation. There were voices that attempted to say better in this situation. And it is unforgivable to, to crush any and all voices of dissent in any way possible. It is wrong to scapegoat other humans uh, in, in order to advance your goals, to use coercion, violence, and force against them in a variety of ways, to shut down their ability to dissent. And we cannot abide having that in our culture. The one thing that we cannot tolerate is, this, is, is the intolerance of, the hum, of human liberty. So do you think that, for instance, the vaccines were pushed simply to make money? Uh, were, were they pushed to kill people or were they just erroneously pushed? Um, but in retrospect, were, it was just simply not a good idea. Okay, so there are two levels to this. The second level, the lower level, the majority of people who participate in the activity believed that they were sincerely doing something right based on the evidence that was being put out in front of them. At the very top levels, though, we have instances where certain things were revealed. We did find out certain things, and we are now finding out more. Time will continue to reveal more. That there were people who knew better or who knew that they were manipulating the result. And, yes, they were doing this for money. Uh, I can point to a whole number of different things, but let's just take the CEO of Bayer, for example. He described that this, these were not actually vaccinations. These are gene therapies. But that vaccination was a brilliant piece of marketing uh, for the mRNA uh, uh, vaccines, as we call them now. Uh, that this was a brilliant piece of marketing. He said this out loud. We know that this is what the, 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 the people at the very top knew and understood this. The people that are in the science and doing this on a day-to-day basis knew it. Uh, we knew a long, long, long time before kids were back in school and unmasked that they didn't need to be masked in the first place and that they probably needed to go back to school. We knew this. And we, we even discussed this in 2020. You and I discussed this here on this, this program. Uh, it wasn't like this couldn't have been knowable, uh, but I, you know, I have some teachers union people in my life, and man, they were scared to death of kids. They were really scared to death of getting back into their buildings. They complained about bad ventilation systems, which they knew would take a long time to install. They complained about the fact that there would actually be children in a school building, and they would be, you know, sometimes these kids would respect, you know, germs. They might, you know, rub up against each other, or they might come up and try to touch the teacher and touch the teacher's desk and who knows what else. And they said it was going to be impossible for them to come back to school, and they wanted to teach online. Uh, in fact, they weren't even sure they wanted to do that because then they started arguing that the kids weren't learning online. So they essentially wanted their checks, and they didn't want to have to go to work. What a deal. And, and they believed in their heart, I mean, in the nastiest possible way, that everybody who was not uh, in agreement with them on the danger of this virus and the need for the vaccine 
you're evil. You're a bad person. Where was that coming from? Well, it's coming from the teachers' union. The teachers' union was stoking this this philosophy all along, and much later than the rest of the country was waking up. So the idea that they couldn't have known or they didn't know or nobody told them, it was because they were suppressing people in social media, for example. The social media titans participated in an attempt to stamp out any dissent. I want to say it wasn't misinformation that they were all just stamping out. They stamped out any dissent. The lab leak, just take that as the example. We weren't, it was a point at which if you brought it up, if you raised the subject, you could be banned from Twitter. And the idea that we just couldn't discuss something that was, should have been debatable. Like, this is the point. Everything should always be debatable. Everything you believe should be subject to debate. If you believe anything that can't be subject to debate, gosh, you're putting yourself, you're setting yourself up and everybody around you for real trouble. Well, I think uh, whatever I say is gospel, but, you know, other people, uh, we can debate what they believe. I've met Gwen, and I'm sure she doesn't agree. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, bring that up. All right, listen, we're up against the clock. Jim Babko with us, talking about not forgiving, not necessarily forgiving, but holding people accountable, making them at least admit and what will that do for the future? Next time there's a health crisis. Would it change anything? We'll ask Jim that next. Grace Arkey on YouTube or just Jim Babka on the Gary Nolan Show. Think Tank Thursday, Zimmer Radio Group. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. It is 949. Jim Babka is with us. Uh, Grace Arkey on YouTube. Or just go to YouTube and uh, look for uh, Jim Babka. In the meantime, he's been talking about holding people accountable for the things that happened during this uh, China flu brouhaha that literally uh, destroyed the economy and I think killed people. My question, Jim, is if we do what you said in the last segment, holding them accountable, uh, even if you don't punish them, bring them in, uh, get them to confess their sins, which really sounds, sounds kind of creepy, but okay. What will that do the next time there's some kind of an epidemic? Do you think that it would seriously make people think twice about, you know, turning on the fear? There's so much in your question. I don't know. I almost don't know where to begin. Um, first, on the creepiness aspect, the South Africans, when the government changed and the apartheid ended, they did not uh, use prosecutions to the full extent of law for the various crimes, real crimes against the human beings that have been committed. I mean, there were people who had, you know, murdered people in pretty heinous ways or raped or pillaged and done the different things under the apartheid regime that uh, they came out, they sat down, they said, here's all the things we did. And as long as they made a full accounting for the things that they did in front of the commission, they were not prosecuted. They were not, they were not convicted. So I'm drawing a line between accountability and punishment here, just to be clear. Second, the answer is that the humans are very imperfect. Situations change and special pleading always ensues. And unfortunately, all of us are born very young. So what I mean by that is we don't necessarily know what people knew 20 years ago. So, you know, there are people who are born now, being born, uh, who are adults now, who weren't alive on 9-11. And so some of the lessons there have been lost. Clearly, we've lost a lot of the lessons that we all knew in the 1990s, when uh, the early 1990s, when communism was lifted. I mean, the people that were alive to remember that event 
remember what communism was and the threat of nuclear war that existed and all the rest of it. And there's a whole generation now that has revived socialism and even communism as, as a viable systems uh, that, that are, should be at the table as part of the dialogue when we knew that communism was on the ash heap of history before. So this solution's imperfect. It has to be. But it is actually a solution. History tells us things. It helps us understand the world in which we live in those times when we don't have you know, complete information yet. Your knowledge of history will help you avoid making mis- new mistakes because there are patterns to things. Are the patterns perfect? No, history only rhymes with certain events. It doesn't necessarily repeat itself. And to the degree that we can get established historically and, and at the highest possible levels that what happened here was wrong, how this was handled was wrong, there's an irony to this whole story. The article that we're discussing in The Atlantic was written by an economist. And I argued at the very beginning of this thing that there were not enough economists at the table. We were listening too much to doctors and virologists and, pand- and, and people who make models of pandemics. We were not less necessarily listening to economists. But economists, unfortunately, left the store. Uh, they basically wanted to, in, in an attempt to be relevant, they basically reinforced everything that we were being told. The key to economics, the economics of one lesson, the most important lesson is you have to take account all of the effects on all of the participants involved. And they didn't do that. They were very narrowly focused on just trying to stamp out uh, COVID, uh, which was a fool's errand from the get-go. There were reasons to understand that scientifically. And uh, the result has been catastrophic. They took a bad situation, a really horrible situation, and found a way to make it worse through central planning. And I would conclude by saying, we had no idea that central planning was a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Who who'd have thunk it? Um, by the way, I, I had a conversation yesterday <clears throat> with a Florida Surgeon General, and uh, we talked about uh, that that vaccine. And I've got a question that he couldn't answer. He's also a research uh, scientist too. You know, they keep telling us that uh, we have to get a booster. If you had the shot, you want to be immunized, you get the shot again, you keep getting boosters. But at the same time, I keep hearing this never goes away. That spike protein stays in your system forever. If it stays in my system forever, why would I need a booster? And if it does go away, um, well, then, I'm, then I would actually feel better because I, I, I got three of those shots. Uh, just an aside, I was thinking about that as you were talking. Uh, we, may, uh, we may never get the answers to some of these questions. But you're right, some people should be held accountable. But will that really change things in the future? Jim, I don't think so. I think yeah, we have. I think, I think all of these things is, works in a ratchet effect kind of way. We try to wake people up gradually to the things that are happening. And yes, there's new generations born, and it's hard to repeat the stories and get everybody to understand. But there is a, there is a ratchet effect to these things. There is a degree of resistance. In uh, an, an immunization, if you will, that's built into the social fabric. Uh, we definitely want to have this out there. We want to do the best we can to get this information out there. And we want it to be adopted at the highest levels possible because it does help resist. It doesn't prevent disease, but it helps resist, if you'll allow me to borrow from, our, from the people who have behaved badly. Uh, the way immunization properly works is it helps resist uh, future events. We don't know that the vaccine in this particular case does that, but uh, in general, that's how vaccines are supposed to work. He, by the way, said 
They had long since had studies on the ineffectiveness of masks. They had long since done studies and knew how ineffective social distancing was. Uh, uh, before the pandemic even started, the World Health Organization had a policy, a, a well-articulated scientific policy against lockdowns. Yep. They knew this stuff didn't work. Uh, and they and yet, did it anyway. And, and the lockdown, by the way, the, the, the thing we got out of that deal was Joe Biden. He didn't have to campaign for president. He could sit uh, offset. He didn't have to go anywhere. He didn't have to explain why nobody was showing up to his shows. He didn't have to answer questions. He didn't have to make public appearances. Uh, gosh, can you imagine if he had to actually campaign that summer, what would have happened to, to the Democratic Party? Yeah, well, you know, there. I mean, at some point where they, you know, did you have the teachers union rooting for not going to work and getting paid anyway? Did you have the, the Democratic National Committee going, crap, we don't want this guy out on the campaign trail? I mean, on and on it goes. How many different people were sitting there with some other interest, not just COVID-related, that they were using the force of the state to impose so that they could advance their own personal goals? Well, we definitely need to investigate. And by the way, I think Rand Paul will in the Senate. Um, and I think Fauci is uh, like ground zero for Rand Paul. Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm wholeheartedly in support of that. What I don't want to see happen uh, in most cases is punishment. I want to see healing. I want to see not just the truth. I also want to see the reconciliation. I don't want to turn this into a bitter you know, feud where people are, are motivated to lie or cover or they're raised up into the status of martyr because they were punished. I would rather we find ways to diffuse this situation without leaving the truth out, putting the truth on the record, exposing it to the entire public. Egos will stop. Bigger, Egos will a much get bigger it. deal than January 6th has been. Egos will get in your way. They, it, it, do you really think Fauci wants to go on national television and admit... Well, he's somebody that probably has to be prosecuted, honestly. I mean, he's at the nexus of this whole thing. He is both at the nexus of its origins and the cover-up of those origins, and then he did a full reversal on some of the things you just mentioned. He was not a mask guy until it was politically uh, expedient to be so. He changed his mind on that. Why did he change his mind? What were his motivations? I, I just, you know... <laughs> Uh, he, he's, he seems particularly culpable here. And so the evidence we gather from below, like we do in most criminal cases, can be used to prosecute him in the end. All right. Jim Babka, uh, Grace Arkey on YouTube. Watch the videos. They're informative. They're entertaining. They're easy to watch. I, I Literally, I enjoy them. Jim, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gary. All right, buddy. Take care. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Uh, Dr. Aaron Hedlund is going to be with us in just a few minutes at about 5 after 10. Uh, he is the chief economist at the Show Me Institute. The feds have uh, raised interest rates again. Uh, and, uh, well, let's find out what that has, to, what that's going to do, uh, how that's going to reflect the jobs report, things like that. It's all coming up next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.